Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 209th video cast, 109th podcast for the week ending October 19th, 2023. A lot to cover this week. Uh, first, we'll just quickly start with the uh, family stuff. This is Mimi out in Scottsdale this uh, week. Uh, Caitlin took her out for this big water polo tournament where uh, they won the gold. So that was pretty exciting for Greenwich Aquatics, 12 and under. Pretty exciting. There she's eating the gold medal. Very proud of her for all the hard work. This is Annabelle ramping up before her swim meet. I was in charge of that in Connecticut over the weekend. She got some zone cuts, kicked some butt. All is well on the swim front. Then we had our fall festival, and that's me losing the stein holding contest. They fill up these big German beer steins with water, and whoever can hold it the longest, I got completely smoked on that. But it was fun, and that's Annabelle balancing a plate on a stick. Uh, so we got some good father-daughter time while Caitlin and... Uh, Mimi were out in Arizona, and then this was me driving in to do Charles Payne on Monday. Uh, I came past this truck. I, I It was mind-boggling to me. So it was this truck that was basically promoting Jesus, and uh, you know, it said Rose the Third Day, but their, I guess their sales pitch was, don't burn. <laughs> so that's how they kind of attract people, and I could see, based on how old this truck is, that business is not going well. Uh, I think carrots work better than sticks, but don't burn was an interesting message and probably the theme for as we get through the uh, worst part of the year here in uh, September, October is always the heavy time. And then they call October the bear killer. And I think this year will be no different. We're going to go through some of that. Uh, been, been bumpy with rates and everything else going on, but I think we're towards the end of the, the, the book of Job here, where you got, what do we have? War, famine, pestilence, uh, in, in markets, we've got war, rates, U.S. dollar strength, strikes. Uh, we'll go through all that today. So we got a lot to cover. Um, and then for those of you who like this stuff, uh, kind of insider view, this was the green room for, Charles Payne, so you can see they have TVs on, and this is where Gutfeld is also recorded for those who watch Fox News. That's a very highly rated show on Fox News, so it's the same studio. Uh, they do it at night, and that's where they do the makeup. They don't do makeup for me. Thank God. Uh, that's the banner, et cetera, et cetera. So now you've been to the, uh, to the green room for two or three studios. Uh, and I uh, hope that's interesting. None nonetheless, I think the theme for this week, I pulled out the, the good old staple, Rudyard Kipling, the poem, If, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but you can on your own when you have a chance to read it. It's uh, Father's Advice to His Son by Rudyard Kipling, and it starts out with, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too, uh, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give away to hating, and yet don't look too good or talk too wise. So he goes through all these different things, uh, if you can be patient, and then he closes it out with saying, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So he's basically telling his son, if you can keep your cool when everyone's going crazy, the rewards will be yours and it will serve you well in life. And I, and I think that's exactly what we go through pretty much every year in September and October. Uh, and then we get the, uh, the year end, uh, rally, but, uh, people are definitely going a little bit haywire here. Um, uh, 
uh, and we think that's going to change. So uh, on Monday, I did join Charles Payne. I want to thank Charles, Kayla Arecibo, Nick Palazzo, and Jane Cohen, uh, Jamie Cohen, for uh, 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 inviting me on the show. And we're going to listen to this one real quick. It's about rates, and here we are, just as we said, at or near. We're knocking up on this 5% on the 10-year. It's got the market a little bit spooked. We got Powell talking today, more dovish than you would expect based on the um, kind of results of the day. Uh, but I want you to listen into the context that I laid out here. Folks, joining me now, uh, Great Hill Capital Chairman Thomas Hayes. Let's pick up on that, Thomas. Um, you and this, what camp are you in? You know, the soft landing, hard landing, no landing, recession, no recession. I think we're soft to no landing. And if you look at GDP now, for instance, Atlanta GDP now is at plus 5.1 percent. Earnings estimates were too low again, negative 30 basis points. Now we're plus 30 basis points. Is that good or bad, though? Because a lot of folks, I mean, some of of the usual suspects, the the Mike Wilsons of the world, are saying there's just too much excitement, too much enthusiasm uh, over these earnings. I'm still waiting for that triple break putt call from last year. It never (laughs) happened. But I got to tell you, I would say, look, Earnings have been beating by 300 basis points for the last few quarters. So I think people are flat-footed going into this earnings season. I think there's a lot of cash. I think performance is still up for the year. Managers will have to chase into year-end. So we're looking for some things that have been left behind. Certainly the Magnificent Seven will do fine into year-end. But there have been a lot of stuff that have sold off from this bond route. And we think the bond route is is pretty much near its end. I think October 6th may have been the bottom. Uh, You look at uh, positioning from large traders and hedge funds. They're the most short bonds since they've been since October 2018. That was right before a really big rally. Uh, you look at uh, bonds over the last 35 years, two standard deviations oversold. So if that route is over and yields have peaked or are close to peaking, then you want to look at those groups, equity groups that have been hit by it. Right. Utilities started to pop last week. REIT started to pop last week. But the big one has been staples because everyone's afraid of this GLP-1 uh, overhype. And uh, I'm just waiting for all these insurers to pay fourteen dollars to $16,000 a year so I can get into a size six. Yeah, you're talking <laughs> about, of course, a deal Zimpic factor. Yeah, uh, 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 And it's weighed on everything. Uh, I, hospital stocks have gotten hit because of it. Yeah. Food stocks have gotten hit because of it. And the notion that everyone in this country is going to have access to this very expensive drug, uh, you know, is, is really amazing. So you say use because they are they have gotten hit in part because of that. Yeah. Are you also but are you concerned, too, with the staples? Like maybe they don't have the pricing power anymore, because initially this was the hot trade. Yeah. Uh, buyers buy staples. You know, you can, you can always mark up a box of cereal extra 20 cents. Also, you couldn't mark up a box of cereal extra 20 cents. Yeah, I think they're starting to lose the pricing power, but their costs are actually coming right. down. Good so uh, you had the bond route. They sold off on rates, which they tend to trade with rates. Uh, but you also have the GLP-1. And on that basis, we think there are some opportunities in those food stocks. You know, one of the ones we're looking at, Charles, Kimberly Clark, tissues and diapers. This right. sold off because of GLP-1? Right. Come on. No, right. it sold off because of rates. Yeah. This is a compounder. This business has compounded capital at 20% per year for the last decade. When you can buy it on sale, you want to do All that. All right, less than a minute to go. Yeah. Now, you're saying that 489, 488, 489 could be the top. But I did read somewhere, like, if we do go through there, because you, yeah. you referenced the last 35 years, uh, but you could reference the 35 years before that, the, yeah. the, 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 the bear market, the secular bear market that lasted 40 years. If we go through that, you suggested maybe we would use a Y, uh, our, our, we would implement some sort of yield control? 
Yeah, yield curve control. You've heard Yellen talk about it in the past. You've heard Powell talk about it in the past. We actually use it in the United States from 1942 to 1947 very effectively. That was the last time we had debt to GDP of 120 percent. We brought it down to 63 percent by 1956. So we can allow inflation to run a little hot, 3, 4 percent, maybe use yield curve control. It doesn't cost the same as QE. We're not going to have to do massive amounts. We're going to say this is where the peak in rates is going to be. And every time it tips above that, they buy a little bit. And once the market knows that, they stop trying to press them. So we just throw the free markets out there window. Well, you know, That's rhetorical. the Japanese did pretty well with it since 2006. <laughs> oh, they did okay. They did okay. There's some other issues, but fair, Thomas, fair. good stuff. Hey, Appreciate thanks it. for having me. All right, folks, we'll be right back. And we're back. So that's kind of the thing. I think we're at or near. We've been waiting weeks for this and, you know, it's moving against in the short term. But when we zoom out, and step back, it, it's it's looking like we're nearing an inflection. We're going to go through that a lot today. Uh, the CNBC Indonesia, you can listen to that on your own. We've got so many Ask Me Anything questions this week, uh, which is understandable that we want to spend time for that. So definitely check in on that. We talked through some of the uh, data points, inflation, employment, et cetera. want to thank uh, Sagarika Jazingani and Michael Mishka for including me in their article on Bloomberg this week. And then finally, want to thank Ankika Biswas and Shaojuat Chauhan for including me in their article on Reuters. So, um, okay, here we go. Uh, this is from Market Watch. Uh, Powell used, quote, code to signal de- definitely not moving in December, said the economist. Uh, this is from... Um, Ned Davis or Renaissance Macro, Neil Duta, he quotes Powell, uh, given the uncertainties and risks and how far we've come, the committee is proceeding carefully, end quote. According to Duta, that's quote, code for we're definitely not moving at the next meeting. That you can see in the futures, which we're going to get into uh, right now. And then uh, Powell's description of the Fed policy stance is quote, unquote, restrictive alongside the observation that there may be meaningful tightening in the pipeline as a result of past hikes. Uh, and then finally, quote, of course, this is all conditioned on the evolution of data. That's Powell notes. But my sense of the Q4 outlook is that there's more downside to inflation than there is upside to growth, Duda said. And then, quote, so for that reason, I suspect the Fed's done for 2023. Now, here's what the futures is telling us. Um, it dropped down to 29.8% chance of a hike in December, uh, basically uh, 2% in November, 29 in December. And yesterday in December, um, the odds were 36.9. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the odds were 36.9. They've dropped to 29. You would think the market would be up. It's not because the 10-year yield is knocking on the door for five. It's got the market a little bit spooked. I do think demand is going to step in at these levels. And if not, uh, there's going to be intervention, as I shared with, with Charles. But we're, we're right on this level of uncertainty. And the, the, the reason it's causing some short-term chop and difficulty in the markets is because people can't plan until they know what the peak rate is going to be even if they feel like we're at or close to it. So it's just where we are at the moment. What we found with so many of these Fed meetings and and important statements like we had today is the first move is usually the wrong move. Uh, And interestingly enough, Brian Dietrich put out this chart today, which said the past 
10 pre-election years saw the S&P bottom today on average on October 19th. So we'll see if that holds to holds to be true, but that's normal seasonality and it's kind of you get did get a feel of really peak fear and capitulation. So uh same thing from Edgar Denny, who's one of the best economists out there, uh talking about rates uh Fed being done raising rates and if not it's going to a lot of problems are going to emerge. Uh so they they've got to be done. So Often they overshoot until something breaks and then they overcompensate and fix it. But we're, we're, we're there. And I think five is the number. I think the overshoot is just enough to flush out all the hopeful people of the reversal and then it'll actually reverse. And that's just the way it works. I also thought it was interesting. Our ask me anything question section. There have been several names in the last few weeks that viewers have, um, generated on their own and uh they've just been phenomenal uh some we own some we don't but i, I will say uh spirit arrow systems i think it was uh debbie or what i i i think it was debbie that came up with that idea last week that one's bounced huge this week um then we had dollar general has has bounced and baxter started to bounce after all the glp1 stuff and those have been asked me anything questions in the last few weeks so you not only want to pay attention to what Tom Hayes has to say, but our listeners are becoming very, very astute and doing a great job generating ideas. And we've got some more today that we'll get to at the end. Uh, long U.S. dollar now seen as the most crowded trade, but bodes ill for the greenback. From your lips to God's ears, Francis Yu, who's the author of this article. Uh, we agree. Uh, we agree that it's crowded. We agree that short bonds are crowded. These are near inflection points, but usually those last few bits, those last few percentages are just like where it, it inserts, you know, the best trades and the best investments you're ever going to make in your life are when it hurts in the short term and it feels uncertain in the short term and you, you just, it, it, it's uncomfortable. If, if it was easy, uh, everyone would do it. And you just have to live with that, like Rudyard Kipling is saying, when you can keep your head uh, when all about you are losing theirs. And you just got to hang in there when you know the probabilities are in your favor. Structurally, everything's favoring. You just got to bide your time, which is why we're always huge proponents of, the, you know, uh, uh, Charlie Munger's favorite saying, the, the three killers are ladies, liquor, and leverage or excess of ladies, liquor, and leverage. Uh, and, uh, and we couldn't agree more. Uh, to, you know, if you stay off leverage, you can just deal with the short term thing. Cause as you go through company by company, uh, you know, eight or 10, 10 companies, if you just look at the weakness in the stock market since, uh, the end of July. Okay. And, um, and the impact that, that that's had. And you look at where the hits have been. It's all been attributable to. You've had rates blow out, which has created a lot of uncertainty. You've had the seasonal weakness and you've had the dollar strength. These are all the exact same conditions that you had last fall before you had this monster reversal and a huge 90% rally uh, in you know, our emerging market stock, which is Alibaba. Uh, that's our exposure to emerging markets, uh, rally 90% over the next 10 weeks. It was the exact same thing. Dollar wouldn't stop going up. Uh, rates were blowing out because of the aggressive hiking cycle. Market was going down. Everyone was predicting. As a matter of fact, I think I have it, but this is uh, someday this week was the exact one year anniversary of people predicting a hundred percent probability of a recession 
in 2023. If you recall, we were saying that uh, everyone's waiting for the recession that already happened, which was Q1 and Q2 of 2022, when we did have a technical recession, negative GDP. So that's on the dollar. Spirit Aero Systems, kudos to the AMA last week. Uh, we liked that one, and uh, that's already started to work. Disney's 100 years old now. How magical has the stock's performance been? Well, if you look at it through inception, it's apparent that um, uh, it's had a moat and a superior ability to compound capital and a brand moat, which is the type of businesses that we look for. We look for the highest quality businesses when they're temporarily on the operating table. And Disney, uh, since 1972, uh, stock has returned 6,139% without dividends and 9,847% with dividends. And that compares to the S&P 500, uh, which is 4,075. So more than doubled the outperformance of the S&P 500 uh, since, since 1972. And we think that that has an opportunity to persist if run correctly. We like that they're investing in the parks. We like that they're going to figure this out. And what we like more than anything else is that uh, Nelson Pelt sees exactly what we see. And he put uh, $2.5 billion in the position. And that's why we've seen the bottom. I think the stock bottomed at 79. It's now 85, despite all this weakness and mania around rates, uh, etc. Uh, here's Jacob Sonenshine writing an article this week about Ozempic fears hammer, hammered Dexcom stock. The concerns are overblown. We like this Ozemp, Ozemp hype theme. Uh, we think this is a good article. There are a lot of ways to play this. We covered a few last week. Uh, you can go back to that podcast, but great article from Jacob. Uh, China's growth beats forecast as consumer spending improves. GDP expands 4.9% year-on-year, topping at, uh, economist forecast. Retail sales jump 5.5% in, in September, the highest since May. So the numbers continue to get better. But the problem is, is nothing will change until it does. And then when it does, it's going to happen all at once, which we're going to cover. Uh, and what what's what needs to change is rates need to to level off and the dollar needs to stop going up. Uh, ironically, I do believe the dollar closed lower today despite rates uh, um, uh, closing higher, uh, which which is positive because it's been coming off the boil the last few weeks. And those are the type of things that we started to see last October. And if you remember the feeling and the sentiment last October before things changed and how certain everyone was that being short because the market was going to fall another 20% after it was down 27% was the right thing to do. And some major, major names saying that, um, those are the times when taking the other side, it's, it takes courage, it takes patience, and it takes low leverage. So you can sit through the short-term volatility and then you get the big reward. So uh, we're in a similar setup right now. Baxter and five more medical device stocks primed for a comeback. So that's Josh, Nathan, Kazis, which is why I think Barron's is the best financial publication in the business because they have a DNA of being willing to take and write about non-consensus stocks. They're willing to take contrarian. They're willing to stick their necks out like Jacob with Dexcom, like Josh with these uh, uh, medical device stocks that have been hit by uh, a drug that only hundreds of thousands of people are on. And when you do the math as to how many people can possibly be covered, uh, it's a lot lower than the market is extrapolating at the moment. Uh, this is from the Fed whisperer Nick, Nick Timoreos over at the Wall Street Journal. 
Fed's Jerome Powell signals extended pause in interest rate rises. Recent economic figures show ongoing progress towards goals, central bank chair says. Here's some data from Seth Golden talking about uh, heavy-duty truck sales growing 15% on a semi-annual basis. Only once since 1966 has a recession followed within one year following that growth in trucks. Uh, and that makes uh, a lot of sense. He's also, I guess, has a similar view on the TLT and bonds reversing here, uh, showing the divergence that we've talked about in recent weeks in a different way, which he's talking about this uh, ABCD. I think that's Elliott Wave or something. But but what he's talking about is this divergence where price continues lower, but the uh, buying power is showing some strain. So the RSI is actually going up while price is going down. Uh, and I think he's got the money flow index going up while price is going down. And that's usually what you see right before big reversals. Uh, so it's just another way to look at it. I also thought this was kind of interesting because everyone points to the 30-year chart and we've broken the trend and therefore there's no bottom in sight. And that may be true. Uh, but when you actually step back a little bit and zoom out, like we always say, he's showing this uh, chart since like the 1700s. And showing how the downtrend has persisted despite the big spike in uh, in early 1980 before it resumed its downtrend. But you see many of these spikes like we've just had uh, looks like in the uh, right after, by the way, that's interesting, right after the two years after the Spanish flu, 1920. That's interesting. We got a spike. And then during the 20s, it resumed the downtrend. So this is actually a pretty interesting comparison. Because most of you know, we published that article in Market Watch. I think it was March 19th, 2020, when everyone was losing their minds again, uh, like Rudyard Kipling, keeping our calm, saying, well, wait a second. You know, even in 1918 with the Spanish flu, when they had no possible cures, the Dow only corrected 35% and we're only down 33. We're buyers or we're already down 33. We're buyers. And, you know, the next two days, the market bottomed and took off and never looked back. Um, very interesting that you had a post Spanish flu spike in 1920 and then it resumed this long term downtrend. Um, kind of interesting. I never looked at it that way. Uh, end of rate hiking cycles are a beautiful thing for most asset classes shy of energy since 1995. What does everyone want right now? Energy. Uh, what does everyone need? Well, they need the things that are going to work. And we talked about it a little bit with Charles Payne and uh, looking nine months out after the last Fed hike, which may already be in the rearview mirror. We'll see. Some people are betting on December 30% chance or 29% chance, whatever it is. But 12 months out, staples are up 22%. Utilities are up 21%. And that's what we've been talking about uh, the last couple of weeks, because why? Partially because of GLPs, but partially because of our view on rates. And once the market is convinced that the, that they're done with hiking, higher for longer is fine. We expect that, and and we're perfectly fine with that. Um, and biotech is the third one, up sixteen point four. So this is how we're positioned. You know, it's interesting. We didn't get to this on the basis of this data because this data he just published uh, uh, today. But we got to this on the basis of how we always get to opportunity, looking where is dislocation, why is it dislocated, and how can we take advantage? And those are the ones that popped up. And sure enough, empirically, that's what outperforms the best after the last hike. Uh, and um, and this time will be no different. So 
uh, percent of companies with positive 12-month percent changes in forward earnings. You don't see these um, uh, uh, upward revisions going into a recession. These upward revisions are what you see coming out of recessions, which is why there should be this gray little line in 2020 when we had the technical recession, uh, first quarter and second quarter. Um, but that's what you see coming out, coming out, coming out. And we're on our way up and we're seeing it already in earnings this quarter, which were projected to be negative 30 basis points. Now they're up to plus uh, 40. And as we said before this even started, uh, earnings have been 300 basis points too pessimistic the last few quarters. I wouldn't be shocked if we wind up plus 2.5, plus 3, plus 3.5 in no one's position for that. So we'll, we'll see that happening here. Small cap seasonality. You can't give away small caps. This is from Jay Capel over at Sm uh, Sentiment Trader. You are here. And that's when small caps take off into the end of the year. Uh, seasonally, moving on. Uh, this is from Piper Jaffrey. Given the increased headline risk thrown at this market, we remain impressed by its resilience. As long as the S&P remains above 4,200 support, we suspect it's just a matter of time before the bulls take firmer control. There's something to be said for that, and they have a year-end target of 4,825, which is very aggressive, but wouldn't shock us. I mean, we're probably more in the 4,600 camp, but we'll take 4,825 all day after the uh, last few weeks of just waiting for this stuff to bottom out. Um so you can see it here, and um, and we like that setup. And we're going to get into some of the positioning and sentiment that actually supports that. Uh, JP Morgan's estimates of Q3 GDP on January 7th, it was plus half a percent. On October 9th, it was 3.5%. And today, it was over 4, it was 4.3%. So opinion follows trend. Uh, Nick Timoreos, after the speech this afternoon, Fed Chair Jay Powell's opening line, quote, incoming data over recent months show ongoing progress toward both of our dual mandate goals, maximum employment and stable prices. The conclusion, quote, proceeding carefully, the pause continues. That's from the Fed whisperer. So we'll take him at his word. I think that uh, I, I doubt he would be out so aggressively with this viewpoint if he didn't have authorization to do so. We could be wrong. Uh, he is entitled to free speech, but he's known as the Fed whisperer and kind of the Fed mouthpiece. Uh, we do pay attention when he talks. Uh, he says, quote, this strikes me as a notable shift from Powell's, quote, indicators of wage growth show a gradual decline towards level that would be consistent with 2% inflation over time, end quote. He doesn't mention core services, ex-housing, a proxy for concerns about wages sustaining higher service prices. Um and then, quote, uh, there are very many signs that the labor market is getting more balanced. So by many measures, the labor market is gradually cooling. So Tim Reyes is making the case here that Powell is happy to stay put. Um, and we agree. So um, just zooming out here, as uh, as noisy as the month of October has been, wars, <laughs> pestilence, famine, locusts, uh, who, whatever else was in the book of Job, that's what it feels like for sure. Uh, here are, here are some quality companies that we've discussed in, in recent months. And, uh, uh, in the case of Amazon last fall, when no one wanted it down here, you know, these things are barely moving when you zoom out. They're just consolidating sideways, scaring the hell out of everyone. Uh, Bank of America is actually getting bid. That's nice to see. Um, Baxter started to get bid this week, which is nice to see. A city just, Grinding sideways until until the spigot turns on. These are all rates. Cooper Standard, you know, as as tough as this been with the strike, and now 
you know, it won't affect Q3 earnings. The key is going to be Q4, how long this lasts. But now that they've shut down major plants and the OEMs are laying people off, I think Sean Fain is going to start to get aggressive pressure from his members as mortgage payments come due and everything else. And as their reserves dwindle, as they're paying out of their investment reserves uh, to do a deal. And, you know, it just the math simply doesn't work. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine, Kenny Polcari, who you know from Fox, did a little clip on the UAW uh, demands. And it basically came out to, he did the math of like, they wanted whatever it was, a 37% pay raise, but they wanted to work 32 hours instead of 40 hours. It came out to like a 90% pay raise all in of what they were requesting with all the benefits. And, you know, yes, you have to do inflation adjustments and maybe they're behind the ball on that and they got to play catch up. And yes, they should get more, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the more they get now, the less they're going to get later because they're going to have no jobs when, you know, uh, all in, I think the quote was 150,000, uh, whereas Tesla and the Japanese producers are $45 an hour. So you just, the math's just not going to work. They're going to have to raise the prices, become non-competitive, and then you're back to a 2009 scenario 10 years from now where they bankrupt, the government's got to bail them out, et cetera. So hopefully cooler heads will prevail. The way the uh, workers can get a comfortable raise that's in line with inflation or slightly better, that's realistic. Uh, the, um, you know, the, the way that I think about it and the, the way that I run my business is very simple. If you produce, you get paid. And if you don't produce, you don't get paid. And I think that that's the same way that the union, if they, if they want to say record profits, 20, 250 billion or whatever they say, $25 billion of profits, uh, we want our share. That's fine. But then take the claw back. And when, when they have negative years, you don't get paid. Uh, and that's, you know, they're not willing, they want the upside, but they're not willing to suck up the downside. Uh, when, when the automakers lose money, are they willing to forego their payment? And the answer is no. So it has to be balanced. Yes. When there's upside, everyone should get paid. But when there's downside, if you want to share in the upside, you don't get paid when there's downside. You don't get paid until the upside comes back. And if they could come to a deal like that, which they won't, uh, that would be the fair way to do it. And I just modeled that after Buffett. Uh, you know, when you perform, everyone gets paid. When you don't perform, you gotta, you gotta outperform to get it, uh, get it back. And when you perform again, you get paid. And, uh, and that's the fair way to do it. And that's the way the union should be thinking about. And that's the way the OEM should be communicating to the public. If the UAW is going to negotiate in public, the producers should, uh, um, uh, communicate in public and say, yes, we've had record profits because of this once in a hundred year event and limited supply and we could raise prices, but on a normalized basis, we have years that we lose money. And now that we have to invest so much on EVs, we're going to lose a lot of money. So yeah, we'll do that deal. You want to, you want a piece of the upside we've had in the short term, that's fine, but you're going to share in the downside uh, when we have to invest for the next 10 years, or you can take a reasonable raise and a reasonable inflation adjustment and let's get on with it and everyone's happy everyone's a little better off uh, and no one's perfectly happy the oems are not happy the uaw is not happy but they both got a little bit of what they want and they move forward and that's how you get it done you don't do this stuff in in public anyway uh disney same thing actually starting to get a little bit because pelts is in but you can't even see it generac they, they just sit there but on a day-to-day -day basis if you look at it you pull your hair out because it looks like the end of time. So uh, Intel keeps climbing higher. I mean, it's um, 
but you can't even notice it on the chart, which is fine, which is great. Um, uh, small caps. Uh, this is perfect. They, they basically haven't moved in a year and a half. Uh, and Capel put out that thing about seasonality. You can't give away small caps. And I wouldn't be shocked if you got to rip your face off into, into the end of the year, uh, from this. So, you know, it just one after another. It feels like the end of the world, but nothing has actually changed in the scheme of, Owning quality businesses that are temporarily impaired. Some have already started taking off. Some are just getting out of the, the starting gate. Uh, and uh, Stanley Black & Decker starting to get bid. You can't even see that it's getting bid. Um, and this is this is what a bottoming process is. You go up, you consolidate, and you make the parabolic move after you shake everyone out. Even TLT here looks like death. Um we're getting there. I mean, these overshoots at every bottom are very natural, similar to 2018, the last time uh, managers were this short. I'm not saying we go back to 2% rates. I'm just saying that at some point, particularly with the amount of debt outstanding, uh, you know, we have to stop going up, whether it's through natural demand or unnatural intervention, which we talked about with Charles. Uh, BF Corp finally got a bid today. I was actually going to share some pictures. I did some channel checks in Kashkai last week, uh, the van store in the, um, in the mall over there. But, uh, you know, a big activist came in this week and, uh, saw what we saw and, uh, made a, made, made a public, uh, uh, pitched it at a investment conference. And then the stock was up 12% in a day. You can't, it doesn't mean anything. It's just through this bottoming process. So it's up 12% in a day, a couple more months of consolidation before it makes its next, next cycle move higher. But when it was down 10%, no one could see it. It just feels like it was a never ending stop until it stops and then it reverses and then it reverses aggressively. Uh, similar, we faced it with Vornado, you know, stock, uh, down, you know, from 60 to 15. You're not going to get the exact bottom tick, but if you get it close enough and you know what you own, uh, it rocks and rolls. So it shot up from, you know, we were talking about it in the mid-teens, shot up to 26, pulled back to 21. Uh, normal consolidation before it makes its next move higher. We're not going to be heroes on this one. We know when we're getting out before we're getting in, but it's not yet. Okay, there's more juice in this one in our view. Um, same with biotech. Feels like never-ending death, but the bottom was put in in May of 2022 uh, it's basically gone sideways for a year and a half. Now it's got some weakness right into its period of seasonal strength. November is the strongest month of the year for biotech. So we'll see if that holds true. But um, you just it's just all about perspective. And I think uh, before we go through all this uh, Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey, let's go through some of the summary. First and foremost, our article of the week, the only chart that matters, stock market and sentiment results, which is... Uh, I just, for simplicity, used the TLT ETF, which is the long bond, uh, similar to 2018, making a lower low, scaring everyone out right before parabolic move higher. Um, and a similar setup right now, we probably got, a, you know, hopefully the final or close to the final flush here to five. I think we got to get over five just to really scare the guts out of everyone before it it, it runs higher a little bit. Uh, but markets are clearly concerned about the U.S. budget deficit and war spending since the war began. Biden administration and the U.S. Congress have directed $76.8 billion in assistance to the Ukraine. The administration is now drafting a bill for another $100 billion for Israel and the Ukraine. Whether you view these expenses as discretionary or non-discretionary from a humanitarian and a security standpoint, obvious tragedies that have happened in both both cases, 
The markets do not like it from a financial standpoint, and the 10-year yield keeps testing a run to 5%. Today it got close. I don't. I think it's 499 or some ridiculous. So it's it'll go over that just to you know spook everyone. In isolation, 5% plus yields on the 10-year are not abnormal and do not imply end of times. However, nominal growth needs to continue in order to support these yields or problems will in fact surface because uh, you're not getting enough growth and you're not getting enough inflation to support that high of a yield given the amount of debt that we have outstanding. Uh, but that said, our uh, Atlanta GDP now estimates for Q3 GDP are 5.4%. Even if they're, you know, 200 basis points off and you got 3.4, no one would be talking about that, as you saw with the JP Morgan estimates, you know, just two months ago. And here we are. Um, Seth also put this out, Golden. Uh, since 1957, over half the time, the 10-year yield was in the 4 to 6% range. The S&P 500 would trade north of 20 times P.E. So it's not the end of the world. But, you know, what's different about this time is that we have too much debt outstanding whether you talk about real estate, whether you talk about mostly government debt, they've got to refinance $1.7 over the next couple of years. Uh, it's material. And I think what you're more likely to see if the market doesn't uh, rectify itself soon uh, and squeeze all the shorts, I think um, you could see some form of yield curve control coming, which is very inexpensive, which we discussed with Charles uh, that would solve the problem like it did from 1942 to 1947. Um, okay, so and we're moving into a, a period of uh, strong seasonality for Treasury bond futures in November as well. So which is interesting that coincides with uh, both China last year, emerging markets and and biotech. So like I said, when these things turn, they turn all at once. Um, we've gone through the notes, um, hedge funds and uh, large traders, the most short, the 10 year note that they've been since the bottom in 20, uh, 2018, right before Monster Rally. And similar situation, you got a lower low, big shakeout before you took off upwards after everyone was already in the boat short. Commercials were getting long, the smart money always early and always right. Then I think this time will be no different. These are the, this is what I referred to with Charles about the last uh, times in the last 35 years that uh, treasuries were two standard deviations oversold and what happened next. These blue lines, we've covered that. Um, that was the CNBC you can watch on your own. And then the, on Tuesday, the Bank of America published its monthly fund manager survey. I posted a summary here. Uh, so you can go through that, but here were the five key points. First and foremost, China's growth outlook is starting to rebound. This change in sentiment is very similar to, to late October, uh, early November of last year. And you can see it right here on the chart. Um, if you remember, uh, Alibaba, which is our proxy for emerging markets, got down to $59, I believe, or $61 uh, during this period of pessimism, which went from September to mid-October. And then when this started turning and then the dollar stopped going up and started to roll over, uh, you saw a 90% rally in BABA over the next uh, 10 weeks uh, and emerging markets and bonds got bid and the dollar got weak. And it happened all at once. When it happens, it happens all at once. And we're seeing that exact same setup from extreme pessimism starting to recover. And then, boom, all of this will take off. So we just need to see those rates stop going up, dollar go down. And this thing will click like last year in our view. Fed speakers have been coming out regularly in recent days claiming the bond market has done its work for it. 
Powell basically mimicked that today, but, you know, like you see always on the, the first move tends to be the wrong one. So we'll see how it shakes out over the next couple of sessions. Uh, manager sentiment at the great financial crisis and COVID low levels, that those were times to be buyers, not sellers. So you can see this FMS from Bank of America, fund manager survey. Uh, you, you know, this is what you see. Here was the low for the great financial crisis. And then it start, sentiment started to come back. It always checks back. Same thing with the debt crisis. Sentiment comes back, it checks back, and then it goes parabolic. Same thing with COVID. It rises, checks back, market takes off off to to the races. And that's where we are right now. Managers taking low risk. They got high cash again this month, 5.3%. That triggers buy signal. You can see every time that cash levels got this high historically, it's time to be a buyer than a seller taking the lowest level of risk that they've taken since the COVID lows and the great financial crisis lows. Again, similar type of check back. They started to get some confidence over the summer after the huge rally. And uh, and now that confidence is waning. That's time to be a buyer, not a seller. And you can see all the groups. They're chasing energy up. That got hit. Uh, T-bills all day long. Cash all day long. Uh, utilities are selling out of. REITs are selling out of. Staples are selling out of. Emerging markets are selling out of. And what are the best performers the nine months out after the last hike? We already went through it, uh, which is what we've been positioned for. You get your staples, you get your utilities, you get your REITs, uh, you get your biotech. Uh, and uh, this is not on here, but I'm sure emerging markets probably shows up as well because that's indicative of the dollar peaking and uh, bonds getting bid. So uh, moving right along. Number four, short China equities is the second most crowded train. trade. When it unwinds, the rally will be brutal for short, similar to last year. Uh, again, we beat expectations. You can see the data here. And finally, contrarian trades by Michael Hartnett. Uh, he looks at what's consensus and takes the other side. He says long emerging markets, long reach, long staples. We agree. Amen. Hallelujah. Of note, the 10-day moving average put call ratio near extreme fear levels. So you did have an exception in, it looks like December, January of this year, where it really spiked up. But on balance uh, throughout history, when you get into these high point eights, uh, you want to be a buyer, 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 uh, you want to be a buyer. And here we are once again. Doesn't mean it can't get worse, but uh, probability states it's to your advantage to start to look to things to buy, not to sell. Uh, the sentiment data was neutral across the board for retail investors, which means they're confused. And then uh, fear and greed is still showing fear. This was 35 last night. It's probably 30 today. And then finally, uh, the National Association of Active Investment Managers. Let's see if this, this probably even went down because unfortunately it comes out on um, Thursday during the day after the article's published. And it's showing... It's, a, it's showing that it's at 66, so maybe up a tick uh, into the end of the year. Uh, so they're getting more exposure. That'd be interesting to see what that looks like after today. And then finally, um, some earnings George put out. This is interesting. This is the IBB top 30 weights. Earnings estimate revisions in the last 60 days, and in aggregate, they've been down by 1.2% for this year, 1.6% for next year. But the XBI, which is the one we talk about, the equal weighted, which has some of the smaller companies, 
the earnings estimates are actually revised up by 3.7% for this year and up 4.6% for uh, 2024 in the last 60 days. That is a huge upward revision for these top 30 stocks in the uh, equal weighted uh, XBI biotech ETF going into that seasonally strong period. So that that's promising. Uh, moving right along, as I said, uh, estimates went from negative three. Now they're plus four. Those will probably be up even more by the end of the week. Then you saw uh, continuing claims were actually a weak number. Everyone was focused on the initial jobless claims uh, being lower, but the continuing claims are climbing higher, which is probably what's giving Powell a little comfort to have a little bit of dovishness in his talking today, despite the market price reaction uh, is a different story. And then finally, uh, I think we're on to the Ask Me Anything questions. That was quicker than I thought it would be, uh, which is exciting. Brad Warren, given that Vornado has moved up significantly from where you first started talking about it, would you consider selling and moving into uh, other similar repositions which have not seen the same movement but have the same characteristics, i.e. Boston properties? Appreciate the valuable insights from the podcast each week. They've taught me so much. Thanks. Uh, well, thank you, Brad. Um, you know, Boston, Boston Properties is a quality business, um, and, and, you know, it was kind of a coin flip, but we went with Vornado because we, uh, we never bet against Steve Roth, and, uh, we saw how he operated through the great financial crisis, and we know the properties. Um, uh, I, you know, I know where I want, I know where intrinsic value is before I get into a new position. So I know where I want to get out before I get in. And I'm not there yet on Boston Properties, uh, excuse me, on Vernado. Uh, even though we've had a, had a nice move in Vernado, I think it's got a lot more to go. As far as, if I didn't have any exposure to REITs, um... And I was just putting fresh money to work. I probably I haven't looked at about Boston property, so I, I have to understand why it's down. But uh, I'd probably be more inclined at today's prices to put new money to work in Boston properties than I would be in something that's already run up. So I think your thinking there is correct. Um, uh, but I wouldn't sell out of it and just create a tax bill because I have a gain because it's not near intrinsic value. So I've got a lot more room to run and I'll just deal with the short-term rate volatility uh, until we get to intrinsic value over the, you know, it might take, hopefully it takes more than 12 months. It's been a quick mover. So we don't get uh, ordinary income. We get long-term capital gains. And then we'll look at, we're not going to be heroes on it, but it has a lot more from here. So we're going to stick with it. Um, T. Latap says, I understand you like to look at historical data in terms of forecasting. But how do you know that the future will be like the past? E.g., long-dated treasuries not losing three-plus years or CFTC commitments of trade are reverting. Is it not possible that yields remain elevated for the same duration as zero interest rate policy, 10-plus years? I think this is a good question, T. Latap. Um, um, you can never have 100% certainty about anything. Otherwise, we'd have 100% of our portfolio in one idea. But... You can, over a basket of ideas, and hopefully somewhat uncorrelated ideas, um, you can have enough outperformance from your winners that they offset the losers and dramatic outperformance of your winners. 
uh, and be wrong on several, or they take longer than you anticipated and have a lower IRR than you thought you would have because it takes a little longer to get to intrinsic value than, than you anticipated. Um, it's possible that rates keep going up, but if that's the case, like Japan found out, you, you just have too many defaults and you'd have deflation and you know you have to manage it. And this is a coordinated group of central banks that has made the collective decision rather than preemptively having moderate policy kill, do everything they can to kill inflation. And as things break, they'll just fix them like they did with these uh, regional banks in March. They knew that they were taking things to the edge and things would break. Then they just injected liquidity and fixed the problem. Uh, and then they kept uh, attacking inflation. And inflation is is collapsing. That we you can watch the CNN piece, but basically when you look at and not the CNN, CNBC uh, Indonesia piece I did. When you look at the uh, owner's equivalent rent, there was um, hotel lodging that was up fifty one percent annualized. That took up a big weight in the largest weight in the unit. That's an aberration or a revision in the making, number one. And number two, when you look at the Zillow current data on rents versus the lag data in the CPI, we know that's rolling over. So um, so inflation is going to continue to run down. And I think Powell knows it, but he has no incentive to say, I'm going to predict inflation coming down. He's just going to say, we'll stay vigilant and you know continue to threaten uh, that. So to answer your question, Team Tap, these are the type of questions you get near inflections because what's logical and should be happening is not happening. And that's what always happens towards major inflections. So this time could be different and yields could go through the roof, but how we're going to, you know, there's, there's structural considerations in how do, in other words, if they let yields go too much in order to keep the foot, the foot on the throat of inflation, it's going to cost them more in inflation because they're going to have to print more money to service the debt interest payments of a trillion dollars a year than they would have had they just let inflation run a little hot and hold rates at 5%. So at some point, someone in that you know uh, uh, organization of a thousand PhDs over at the Fed is going to figure out that it's cheaper to let inflation run above trend than to actually try to kill it and then not be able to refinance the debt and things go off the rails and then you have all these defaults, et cetera. So um, it's a game, you know, it's kind of game theory here, Tila Tap, and it can stretch longer and further than you expect and you have to be prepared for that. And that's why ladies liquor and leverage, you don't have the leverage so you can wade through it. Yes, it's painful. You get a little mark to market uh, agita in the short term, but uh, you more than make up for it over time and then some. So um Good question. Dr. Matt from North Carolina. Avid listener of your podcast for years. I was I work as a preventive cardiologist, helping people prevent heart attack and stroke day in and day out for 13 years now. I also spend about 25% of my professional time conducting clinical research, mostly cardiovascular outcomes trials where the true benefits of drugs are determined. I literally laughed out loud when you said, quote, None of them are ever going to need a medical procedure again, nor are they going to eat fast food or candy or drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes. Quote, 
we're going to take the other side of that. <laughs> we are taking the other side of that for sure. Uh, this is uh, as it relates to the Ozemp hype, is what I call it, uh, that uh, everyone's going to take this stuff, no side effects, everyone can afford it, insurance is going to cover it for everyone, and therefore short Oreos because no one's ever going to want an Oreo as long as they live. Uh, he says, people have been overemphasizing the preventive benefit of weight loss for decades, and you summarize this as well as anyone in my field ever has with this comment. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, the hype over GLP-1 inhibitors has been unrivaled in history, an expensive drug that largely works by making you too nauseous to eat. Opinion, not advice. <laughs> but I'm taking the other side of that bet on GLP-1 inhibitors too. Truly impressed by all your insight into the medical stocks here. Uh, no financial advice relevance, but what everyone really needs to know is that the negative hype on statins is fake news and that these drugs have been the true panacea for prevention of heart attack and stroke. Unfortunately, statins are generic and cost less than $50 per year, so no investment ploy to be had. So false negative press is the only way to get anyone's attention to these miracle drugs at this point. Thanks for all you do. Never stop the weekly podcast. Love it. Wow, that is quite a nice note and I think very helpful for a lot of people listening. Dr. Matt, uh, very appreciative of that and glad you're an independent thinker and it probably serves you very well in your career as well. Michael Colucci, hey Tom, someone asked, what's the longest you've had to hold on to something for the stock to perform? What's the longest you've had to hold on to a loser before you decide to sell it? Hopeful as well. Um, you know, we've gone through... Uh, range resources was one that went against us before it went hugely for us. You know, the only thing that could cause me to sell out of a position would be if the facts around the position dramatically change. So, for example, you know, Bob is the one. It's done nothing for a year. We've owned it. We've bought more on weakness. It's not going anywhere and it won't go anywhere until rates stop going up and the dollar comes down, which we think is imminent, but it hasn't happened yet. So, what would cause me to change it? I would say two things. And by the way, in the interim over the last year, earnings have been going up. Free cash flow has been going up. Uh, business prospects have been going up. Uh, uh, everything's been moving in the right direction from a business standpoint. If you own that as a private owner, you'd be happier than a pig and you know what. But as a public owner where you deal with Mr. Market, the bipolar uh, invention of uh, Ben Graham, who explained it in his uh, seminal book, The Intelligent Investor, which I recommend everyone reads, um, you know, you, you just have to, to deal with that. But what would change, you know, if, uh, if they went cash flow negative, if their earnings power got tremendously impaired, if the numbers were going down much further than was already priced into the stock, uh, that's when you'd have to cut your losses because the facts at the top point of ownership are different from the facts than when you entered the stock. Uh, and then you have to adjust. You know, it's like Keen said, uh, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? And, uh, and in all cases, that has not changed um, uh, when we look across the portfolio in, 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 in case by case, business by business, the prospects, you know, over the last, what's interesting is it's amazing the swing between the end of July and today, the prospects for most of the business, if not all the businesses in our portfolio have actually gone up, not down. The earnings power has gone up. The, uh, Prospects, the guidance, the expectations, the working down of in inventory, the taking down of costs, the improvement of the balance sheet. Those things have all gotten, for the most part, better, not worse, but price because of seasonality, because of rates, because of all this uh, noise. As a matter of fact, Druckenmiller was out today saying, earnings don't matter about the price of a stock. All that matters is what the Fed says. So 
you know, in the short term, that's correct. And that's been true today. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll see whether that first move proves, proves to be correct. Now, um, Brian McLean says, Tom, love the podcast. I tell everyone I know about it and I've sent in a few questions in the past. Uh, by the way, thank you very much, by the way, for sharing it. Um, and if you're getting value from this, uh, then, you know, the best compliment you could pay me would be to share, share it with one person, you know, who likes markets, who'd be interested. The faster this, the bigger this thing grows, the longer we'll do it for free. We'll always do it for our clients, uh, but for non-clients, which we're happy to generate this value, um, you know, please go ahead and share it, and that that'll just help us uh, continue to want to bring it to uh, non-clients uh, in perpetuity, which we're we're happy to do. But it, it is a big investment of time. It is a big investment of energy, uh, which clients are due, and uh, and we're happy to share broadly. Uh, it, it, you know, we just invite you to play your part and um, uh, share it to the best of your ability. Uh, so thank you for that, Brian. Okay, I'm looking into residential real estate brokerages right now and wrestling between Zillow and Compass. I think Redfin and Realtor have better apps, truthfully, as they show more houses within the area and Zillow seems to be only highlight the ones they're involved in. So that might be an issue moving forward from a user standpoint. But when it comes down to it, everyone I know uses Zillow, not the other two so to me. Zillow has the branding power, which is huge, and their app is very user-friendly. Compass is more of a pure play on residential sales. Both have been beaten down considerably. However, Zillow's revenue last quarter seems to have flattened versus Compass, which fell about 25%. Also, surprisingly, Compass lost a ton of money last year, which is odd, so I feel like I'm answering my own question a bit. Uh, Zillow versus Compass. I think you are answering your own question a little bit, but um, let's just take a quick look at these, whether we even want to own any of them. Historically, I've found... That like I forget what the name of it was, but there was a huge one that had Century Twenty One during the Great Financial Crisis, and it like had a moat, had the business, and they still found a way to lose money with an asset light model. So I've never loved the real estate brokerage business. Sometimes somehow they just figure out a way to always lose money. Uh, looks like um, Zillow got smashed after twenty twenty one. It's trying to find a bottom. It's trying to turn cash flow uh, back to earnings. Positive again. Um, let's just see here. I. It seems like it should. I don't want to use this one. Let's see Zillow. Spencer Raskoff was the Goldman guy who started. He's no longer there. Um, let's see. Zillow. So the stock is down. Okay, so it had that spike up to 212 during a once in a hundred year event. Uh, Compass, let's just take a look at Compass. Wow, it's dropped from 22 down to two. All right, so Zillow Group, let's take a look at some of the financials real quick. Yeah, so they're just struggling to get their top line back up, which makes sense. I mean, the market is basically dead, uh, but they're losing money. 
just see here. Cash from operations was actually okay. Cash from investing. Lost money in marketable securities. We have to look into that. CapEx. What what CapEx do you need for to run a website? But okay. Um, free cash flow positive. Let's look at the balance sheet. All right, we got decent cash. Do they have any debt? Yeah, 1.6 billion. <sighs> um, I understand your thinking here, wanting to kind of get in at the cycle low. Let me just take a quick look at comp. I'm going to probably say no to Compass just because those traditional businesses have never, real estate businesses have never worked uh, in the public markets for some reason. Uh, so I'm just going to, from experience, say no. Zillow Group. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really like this business. I mean... I like the idea of buying one of these in the hole here before things turn around and rates stop going up. I don't know if this is the way to play it. I would probably be inclined, you know, to buy, believe it or not, building materials like tech. I was actually looking at today, which is too, not tech. No, that's not it. Um, what's the other one? What's the one that does the decks? Uh, I don't know. All right. Well, I would I would start to look at uh, home builders are too early, but building supply type of stuff. Th there's a better way to play it than Zillow is what I'm telling you. I think that you're. I I like your thought process because no one wants you know everyone thinks real estate's dead now, rates is high, no one's ever going to buy a house. But I want to play it a different way. And Zillow just doesn't seem to be a high enough quality business. Even when it was good, it wasn't that good. So I'm going to say uh, we're we're going to pass. It doesn't mean it won't work for you. Just just do more work because I'm not I'm not loving it. Uh, to be honest with you. Speaking of not loving it, McDonald's is down a lot. But all right, Tom Hicks says, could you please give your opinion, not advice, on whether or not? By the way, everything is opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com. Click on terms. Um, we don't know your financial situation. We deal exclusively with accredited investors and qualified institutions who have a higher risk profile. Uh, seek your financial advisor before you uh, um, do anything. All right. So this stock is called Zixi, Z-Y-X-I. Okay. All right, what do they do? Okay. Gross margins seem to be holding up, free cash flow is growing. Revenues are growing. 
earnings are growing. So 46 cents. Kind of flattish, actually, the last two years, but still going in the right direction. Cash flow growing from operations. Let's see, they repurchased stock. That's interesting. They repaid some debt. All pretty good signs. All right, let's see. So it's trading at give it 16 or 18 times. Manufacturers and markets. Oh, medical devices to treat chronic acute acute pain, activate exercise muscles for rehabilitative purposes with electrical stimulation, actually multi-channel modality, neuromuscular physicians and therapists. Okay, so this, this got hit by with all the medical device stocks uh, on the basis of GLP-1. If people lose weight by taking a magic pill or shooting in a, a magic needle, they're never going to need another uh, um, procedure again. Um, I'd be more inclined to play this theme with something more established and, and bigger. Uh, I understand the interest in playing a small cap here, but I think there are bigger, better companies that have been hit down that are going to give you greater assurance because when it moves against you, you're going to have more confidence that you can just stick with it until you get your double or triple. I mean, could this thing be a multi-bagger? Yeah, you'd have to listen to the last eight calls, look at the investor presentations, read the last couple annual reports, do a competitive uh, advantage, see you know patient numbers, do channel checks, et cetera. Uh, it's a $268 million company. Um, so I don't see anything wrong with it, but I can't. Um, endorse it with any level of confidence because there's just too much additional work to do. So I think it warrants further investigation, but I think there are safer, better ways to play the theme. Uh, but I do like your thought process here, Tom. Thanks for the question. Landon Hill. Hi, Tom. I'm a new viewer and I'm about 50 video casts through on my way to seeing them all. Thanks for the amazing education. Uh, have you looked at IFF? Tradition, uh, that's uh, international fragrances and flavors and fragrances for the uh, home viewers. Uh, traditionally strong, reliable cash flows in a wide moat oligopoly business, down 60% due to debt issues after overpaying for acquisitions in recent years. New management has a plan to rein in costs and get the business back on track. Interested to hear your perspective. Uh, yes, I'm interested in this one. Um, they do have a nice oligopoly. Um, So, international fragrances and flavors. All right, so it's down from 146 to 66. Gross margins came down in the last two years. Cash flow went negative for a little bit. Cash from operations still positive. So this is definitely a turnaround story. And 
right. So... Trading about 14 times. It's historically traded at 22 times. We have this dip here. Margins are... Yeah, it looks like they paid down a little bit of debt, but they've got a lot more to go. Mid single digits compounder in an oligopoly business. Um, all right, let's take a look at this. So they got some short-term pain in the balance sheet. It's levered and coming down. Still generating cash from operations, which is growing, coming off the bottom, off the trough here. Uh, cash from investing. So they did a divestiture, they raised some cash there. That's good. They're still paying a dividend, 800 million a year in dividends. No, 1.6 billion because they got preferred. Repaid about a billion dollars with the proceeds. Free cash flow positive. Um, margins came in a little bit. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, the question is, you could definitely make this a small position. The question is whether the margin of safety is high enough based on the short-term impairment. I think you're probably close, if not there. I, I think this is a decent idea that warrants a lot more work, but uh, you're probably in the ballpark of where it would make sense to um, take a look at getting a position. I, I think it's kind of interesting here. Uh, I wish it was a little bit higher quality, but this thing has been around forever. And uh, as you point out, it is in an oligopoly business. It's not every year that you get to buy it at a markdown. You've had two other chances to do that. One was during the great financial crisis. One was during the um, a tech wreck. And even during the tech wreck, it only fell like 70%. In here, it's already fallen. Uh, you know, it's almost 60%. During the great financial crisis, it was around 60%. So you don't get too many opportunities. It looks like three in the last 30 years to buy this markdown. You just have to be comfortable that they didn't completely destroy the franchise with the acquisitions. And if they did, that they can fix it. And if they can, you're probably okay if you think long-term. Don't know if it'll be 61 is the bottom or 66 is the bottom or 50 or 45. But I think over time, this thing will work its way higher just based on its competitive positioning. Rick Borax, um, like your take on Shutterstock, digital media brand that's been beat down quite a bit. They operate in a competitive space of Partnered with some top names, Google, NVIDIA, Meta, acquired by Giphy, plus some possibilities in the AI space. No real debt issues. There's 30 million due in 12 months with uh, 90 million cash. Financials look weaker in parts. Firm seems to be getting on its 
feet more recently. So maybe this stock is something to consider down 20, 50% from its highs. Uh, thanks as always, much appreciated, Rick. Okay, Shutterstock. Um, I don't know much about this business, so I'm not gonna have, I, I could take a look at the financials, but I'm not gonna have a great view. This is This falls in the technology category where you really have to do your work. Um, stock. Okay, so it's down to $36 from 124. Is this still growing with the exception of the last year? <sighs> yeah, I mean, it, this business looks like it's trying to improve or is improving free cash flow positive burn down cash a little bit but they don't have much debt And their top line's doing okay. Margins seem to be holding in. Uh, I think this one definitely warrants further work. I think you have to understand, like, what is their competitive advantage? How do they keep this moat or can it be replicated? And if, and if they've got an advantage and they have a little bit of a moat, then the question is just valuation and timing. And, um, but I think it's, it's definitely worth looking at. This is not the type of business we generally get involved in. Uh, cause you know, you just don't know what that business is going to look like 10 years from now, or it's hard to envision, but I think your instinct here is probably correct. Um, the question is, you know, you know, just without doing the work yet, I'd probably buy a little here and then hopefully get a, a bit lower, you know, in the low thirties, if I could get some more, but, um, it's not the type of business we usually get involved in. So we, we'd be a pass, but I think, I think it would probably work for you if you take a two or three year view. So good work. Good question. Justin from Montana, thanks as always for great content. I share it with anyone who I think could be interested. Thank you very much, Justin. You've mentioned over the past couple of months that you're watching TLT for an indicator that money is moving into long-dated treasuries. Uh, considering your thesis that, well, that wouldn't be an indicator. An indicator would be like the positioning with com commitments of traders. 
uh, and some of the other extreme, like the two standard deviation oversold because TLT is long dated treasury. So it wouldn't be an indicator. It actually is that product. Uh, considering your thesis that the Fed is likely to stop or even reverse rate increases. Uh, I don't think reverse. I do believe in higher for longer. Uh, but I think their dot plot is probably correct that they'll be, you know, 25 or, well, they say 50 basis points lower by the end of the, of next year. And that's not even beginning to be priced in now. Uh, if anything, the market's pricing in, they're going to be 50 basis points higher, which I don't think is going to be the case. Um, so, uh, pension funds will necessarily move into longer dated bonds. Do you own, okay. So on the basis of all that, do you own TLT? Uh, we do own a little bit of TLT. Um, it's um, one position in some of the newer um, portfolios that have come in in recent weeks. We think that the risk reward is interesting here. The only problem we have with TLT in terms of it being a major placeholder is that it doesn't have an expected value of a double. I mean, if we're right on this, maybe it bounces up to 110 or 120. Uh, but I think it's a good... Um, I think it's a good placeholder, and at some point, it will begin to act as a shock absorber as well. So we like it for a bounce. If this bounces, then everything else will work, and we'd probably, unfortunately, we'd probably be out of it, depending on how long it takes to get up to 120 inside of the 12-month window, because when it turns, it's probably going to be pretty steep and pretty quick. Uh, but yes, we do have a modest, modest position in some of the newer accounts, because we think the risk-reward is attractive now, even though it's not going to be a double. Plus, uh, Drew Byrne, uh, hi, Tom. Grateful for your thoughts on Pfizer, which I think looked interesting in the low 30s. Potential positives include recently ambitious acquisitions, CGEN providing access to multiple anti-cancer drugs, two of which provided $1.2 billion in revenue. There could be a good runway ahead for growth with a good number of drugs in the pipeline 24, 25 onwards, plus possible major breakthroughs. There's a decent dividend while you wait, which is cash generative. Uh, some negatives include ongoing Post-COVID adjustment, disappointment with Paxlovid COVID trial results versus competitors. Both short-term negatives, though, and potential for COVID vaccine lawsuits. Free cash flow has been variable, influenced by acquisitions. There's significant debt, again, influenced by acquisitions. There's a uh, lack of net share buybacks. It's looking tempting as a long-term smaller position. There may be a little more downside, but then there's a risk of losing upside for the sake of a few percent lower, wanting to best deploy capital. I wondered uh, your thoughts on Pfizer versus, say, Bank of America or adding to Baxter or PayPal. Appreciate your stellar weekly content, which I share. True. Um, I don't know what you should do. Uh, I would say um, we own Bank of America, Baxter, and PayPal. We don't own Pfizer yet, um, but we would strongly consider it. Um, so I'll leave it at that. But um, I think it's just a slow mover and it's going to take time and we have enough exposure to healthcare through biotech. Um, but I, th I agree with everything that you said. Uh, I just don't have immediate confidence with the inflection or the catalyst for it, but I, but I do like the valuation and uh, I don't disagree with what you said. The other three I own for reasons and I think they're, things that I can grasp on more quickly as to why and how it might turn, but it wouldn't preclude me from owning Pfizer. We just don't own any. Uh, Nate Kelsey, thank you for your, as always, for your podcast. Two broader macro industry questions from me. Tesla earnings disappointed the street, and there's lots of discussion about cooling EV demand and the possibility that many people who wanted to have an EV have purchased one. 
How does this affect your thesis on Cooper Standard and the margin bump they get from producing parts for EVs? Second, we have known for years that China manipulates its economic stats, and recently the government has stopped publishing key stats. How do you get a good read on what is actually going on in China? Thanks, Nate Kelsey. Okay, so two things. Nate, number one is um, the EV bump from margins was never part of our original thesis of normalized earnings back to $7 a share. That was just a free whipped cream bonus uh, that might lead to multiple expansions. So as far as the noise about one quarter's EV demand or not demand, I, I really have no view about EVs one way or another. Um, uh, it seems that the powers that be are going to push and incentivize and drive the bus in that direction, in which case we'll get higher margins than is in our model and uh, better than expected results, if that's the case. If they realize that it's a failure, and I think some of the OEMs are pushing more in the hybrid direction, which is also higher margin than ICEs for uh, Cooper Standard, then so be it. But it's not in our base case thesis. That would be the whipped cream part of the thesis, and that's not included in the in our expectation that they can get back to $7 normalized uh, and more if the mix is... Um, if the mix is EVs. Second, uh, as far as China manipulation, I mean, their numbers have been so horrendous the last 24 months. Why hasn't anyone accused them of, of manipulating their numbers when the numbers were terrible? So I, I don't know how that works. You know, what I do find is when positions aren't moving, uh, people come up with conspiracy theories like it's the algos or it's the this or the manipulated numbers or this or that. And sometimes it just simply takes time. And in the case of China, as good as the numbers are becoming um, off of a weak base, uh, nothing's going to change until the dollar changes and the Fed is done. And you just have to make a bet. Look, the Fed put out their dot plot that they're going to cut two times at the end of next year. So they're higher for longer if what they're saying is true is eight months. So on that basis, Sometime between now and then, dollar is going to weaken, and uh, and and the Fed could be done. In which case, the dollar weakens now, which is kind of where we're leaning. Um, so none of that noise matters. The way you get the data is what we did was we bought, in our view, the highest quality company available in China, uh, and we look at the company by company numbers. And the company by company numbers are actually very good, which is what we've been saying. There's been a divergence between. Bad numbers from the government, which is kind of the anti-conspiracy theory. If they're manipulating their numbers, why don't they manipulate them better? Because they've been absolute dog shit. Excuse my language. Uh, but, uh, but getting a lot better now in the last couple of months because of the lagged effect of all the stimulus that they put into the system. Um, uh, but we always just pay attention to what the companies are doing. And, you know, with, uh, Alibaba, the cash flows are going up with some of its peers. Uh, business prospects are improving. Results are improving. Revenues are improving. So all those things are happening so that when finally the climate shifts for emerging markets and the flows go back in, uh, we're off to the races in the high, highest quality business. So uh, I think those are two great questions, Nate. Thanks for tuning in and submitting those. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Now, next week, we are not going to be available to do this on uh, uh, at the end of the week. We've got meetings and travels. So we are going to do an abbreviated version, most likely on Tuesday. So start sending in your Ask Me Anything questions for next week. Uh, hopefully that one will be 30, 45 minutes with a note. 
uh, and hopefully we'll have some positive developments over the next three sessions to add in there, and then we'll move forward. So I uh, want to thank everyone. It, we'll be back next week uh, earlier than normal. Uh, in the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.